Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. When we hear the phrase, follow the money, we've come to understand that it usually leads back to nefarious political activities, self-dealing, and corrupt public servants, or worse. Sometimes that money trail leads to something that's become so commonplace we hardly notice anymore, the business of corporate bribery and kickbacks around the world. As the global economy becomes even more interconnected, as the membrane between governments and transnational corporations becomes even thinner, these kickbacks and bribes have a multiplier effect that often leads directly to conflict, repression, and violence around the globe. Like the butterfly flapping its wings in Maine, the impact can be felt in the caves of Afghanistan or the boardrooms of China or the corridors of power on Capitol Hill. To bring all of this in sharper focus, I'm joined by my guest, David Montero. David Montero is formerly a correspondent for the Christian Science Monitor and a regular producer for PBS's Frontline. His work has been honored with numerous awards, and he's written for The New York Times, The Nation, and Le Monde. It is my pleasure to welcome David Montero here to talk about his new book, Kickback, Exposing the Global Corporate Bribery Network. David, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Great to have you here. One of the things we think about, I suppose, when, when the subject of bribery and kickbacks on a corporate level comes up is that it's a kind of victimless crime that we really don't see that, that it's any different, for example, than insider trading and some of the nefarious practices that, that often go on on Wall Street. Talk about that first. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think this is the problem with these bribes. We do think of them as victimless, but this is a crime that has an impact. It's like saying that, you know, you, when you shoot a gun, uh, it doesn't hurt people. Bribes have an afterlife. After a corporation pays them millions of dollars put into the hands or the pocket or the secret bank account of a corrupt government official, they go on to do very, very terrible things that hurt citizens, especially abroad. Sometimes this money is used to fund conflict. In cases that I uncovered, it, it's probably been used to fund terrorism. At a minimum, it deepens poverty. So we're very misguided in thinking that nobody suffers. It's just a business issue. It's just an economics issue. I, I think it's actually more of a human rights issue than, than, than anything else. Could the case be made that even if these bribes and kickbacks from these companies didn't happen, that, that those that take the bribes, those that engage in these human rights violations, would do it anyway, that the money would be coming from somewhere else. Yes, and, and they do do it anyway. But what happens is, uh, I'm thinking of a corrupt regime in Bangladesh, for example. These kickbacks become one of the main pillars uh, for how these people stay in power. So they may be extorting, those people, the corrupt officials, may already stay in power because they extort money from local businesses. They may steal from the national treasury. But the bribes that corporations pay are a, a, a further pillar, a main pillar of how they stay in power and, and keep their corrupt regime going. And in fact, they want to stay in power because the longer they stay in power, the more they will get those kickbacks. Yes, this would happen probably anyway, but it's exacerbated by the bribes that these corporations are paying. Talk about the divergence in views between the way we look at kickbacks and bribery and, and, and punish it accordingly in this country versus the way it's seen around the globe. Yeah, we, we prosecute and punish corporate bribery 
basically as any other kind of market manipulation or white-collar crime. When a corporation pays a bribe, what it's basically held to account for is that it did not report that bribe in its paperwork to the Securities and Exchange Commission. So it's kind of mind-boggling to think that you're, you're a Fortune 500, you go into a country like Nigeria, you pay off a political party right before an election, hoping to sway that election. All you were ever fined for or held to account for is that you didn't file the right paperwork. Um, which, again, adds to this idea that it's somehow a victimless crime. If you go to the countries where these bribes are paid, the, the citizens there are outraged. For example, as I mentioned in Nigeria, that, that, that a corporation has come and interfered in their, their sovereign election. It's manipulated their democracy. In Greece, where bribes have been paid, people have lost their jobs. Uh, they have seen their pensions cut because the government is bankrupt because it was bribed to pay for services or products like submarines that it didn't even need. So there's a great disconnect between how we look at the crime here and how we prosecute it, certainly, and in, in the experience that is lived by people in the countries where the bribes are paid. Talk about how it's perceived in Western Europe and other Western countries different in some ways than it's perceived here. Well, I mean, in some, I think it's basically looked at maybe from from the standpoint of prosecution, Western Europe is a little bit behind the United States in recognizing that this is a problem and is a crime. Um, the United States, to its credit, actually has been a little bit more proactive. Um, I think there has been more of a culture in in Western Europe of that bribery is acceptable. And I'll give you an example. In Germany, until the 1990s, bribes were tax deductible for corporations. So they could they could basically write those off as a, literally the cost of doing business. Whereas in the United States, we saw it as this is something immoral and inefficient and wrong. And technically, it was illegal. Corporations still did it, but it was illegal. So there's, there's a slight, uh, maybe a different cultural uh, acceptance of bribery uh, at, at least recently in Europe as compared to the United States. Would bribery be seen as more acceptable if there was a larger degree of transparency to it, not unlike what you were saying uh, with respect to Western Europe? I mean, it's an interesting question. If bribes kind of became more like lobbying and they were recorded and they were transparent, um, you know, certainly that would solve the problem of this money being very nefariously and secretly funneled into other things. I mean, at a minimum, we would at least know how much money was being paid and maybe where it was ending up. I think I would not I would not advocate for that. I don't think that we should we should want to make bribes legal. I think there's a better way to compete. There's a more uh, innovative and creative way to compete. But sure, if 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 if, if we all kind of say, look. Everybody's doing it, so let's just be transparent about it. Maybe it would it would take away some of the, the punch because we'd have a better handle on where the money's going. How has bribery and kickbacks changed or grown or, or morphed as globalization has become more powerful and transnational companies have become more powerful? It's become a lot more elaborate. I mean, we as a country, let's say, after Watergate, we discovered bribery. The Congress uncovered that Fortune 500s, the, the leading country companies in the United States were paying bribes to government officials abroad. Usually they were doing that in cash. They were literally stuffing a suitcase, flying the suitcase to you know, a, a country abroad and handing it off to a minister. Because there's more of um, a crackdown on the crime, I think the bribery has become a lot more elaborate. People still pay bribes in cash, but by and large, they don't. It's too easy to detect. It's too easy or it's too difficult to move that money around. 
So what happens now is that corporations have gotten much more involved in organized crime, the organized crime uh, side of this, where they are sometimes a corporation has a whole department whose job it is to create fake companies and open uh, hidden bank accounts in the names of those companies so that it can funnel the money through sham uh, consulting contracts, for example, to a government official. And this allows them to move the money in a way that's very difficult for law enforcement to detect. So in some, in one sense, the, the bribery schemes have gotten a lot more elaborate. Um, I think in another sense, they've, because of the interconnectedness, we see that the, the kickback to these kickbacks is worldwide. You know, we think that a bribe paid by an American company has no impact to us or that it has no impact at all. But as you mentioned, the sort of butterfly effect, when we pay bribes uh, or when American companies pay bribes in China to doctors who then overprescribe antibiotics, it's something that affects all of us because antibiotic resistance goes down in China and we see the rise of superbugs and other bacteria that can't be killed by known uh, antibiotics. And eventually those superbugs and those bacteria make their way to the United States and that affects us. And so I think this interconnected world of people and goods and capital um, it, it means that this corruption washes back onto our shores. How do some corporations resist this when their competitors are doing it? When you look at situations where you have transnational companies with a lot of competitors out there, some do and some don't. Talk about that. Yeah, I just want to say one of the most remarkable things that I heard while reporting this book was from an executive who said, bribes are like steroids. Everybody's doing it. And if you don't do it, you fall behind. That, that really crystallized the mindset of the people who are willing to pay bribes. I mean, think about it for a minute. They are going to pay bribes, which are illegal and inefficient and immoral and have a terrible impact. Why? Because their competitors are doing it. That's so uninnovative, right? To do what your competitors all do because they're doing it, even though it's illegal, by the way. That's not innovative at all. The companies that don't pay these bribes are innovative. They, they, they're innovative in, in a number of ways. One, their products are innovative naturally. They know how to sell them in an innovative way. But they, I think they also recognize that a corrupt deal is not one that they need. Not all companies pay bribes. Something like 30% do. I, I want to believe that the, the majority of companies that don't pay bribes say to themselves, you know what, this deal, we're bigger than this. We, can, we don't need it. We have so many more interesting uh, sales opportunities in other places. We can just walk away. So I think they, 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 they are looking at the long term. Bribes are a short-term solution. They will win you a sale. They will bump up your revenue in the short term. Over the long term, they will wreak havoc in your company and in the place where you're doing business. A very smart company sees that and avoids it. And of the companies that are doing it, how many of them look upon it as something that they have to do because their competitors are doing it and because it's part of what they perceive as their fiduciary responsibility to shareholders. Again, the, the, we, don't know, we don't know a lot about how many companies do this. Recently, surveys um, where companies self-report on this uh, have given us a better idea. It, it seems to be around 30 to 35 percent of companies feel that we really, to keep up with the competition, to, 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 to gain market share, we we have to do this. Um, so it, 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 it's, a sizable, it's a sizable amount of, of companies that are doing this. And are there particular business sectors where we see a lot more of this than others? 
Yes. Um, as you might imagine, in oil and in mining, where there are natural resources and billions of dollars of those natural resources involved, bribery is much more prevalent. In defense contracts, bribery is much more uh, prevalent, not only because the contracts are so huge. You know, sometimes we may be talking about a billion dollar contract for new fighter jets, but defense contracts are really complicated. There are very few people who can even understand them. Sometimes the products being sold are the only products of their kind in the world. So a company can lie and say, well, you know, this is how much it costs, but in fact it costs that much because bribes are padded into the cost. So it's defense it is uh, natural resources. It's also telecom, though. Telecom is a, really an underlooked market uh, in terms of bribery, but it, it's such a huge emerging market. There's a lot of money involved. Think about the number of countries, uh, particularly in the developing world, that are trying to build uh, mobile phone networks. So a lot of the cases we've seen involve uh, telecom, too. One of the other things you talk about is this whole kind of infrastructure of middlemen in these deals that has grown up around this. Exactly. One of the things that we discovered after Watergate was that very large corporations uh, like, let's say, I'll use Lockheed because there's a very particular example involved with Lockheed. A company like Lockheed, when it wants to pay or needs to pay bribes in a country like Japan, faces a conundrum. Uh, we need to pay these bribes, at least that's what we've been told, if we want to sell $250 million worth of aircraft to the Japanese government. But the only way we're going to get the final okay for that sale is from the Prime Minister of Japan. As a company, we have no idea how we approach the Prime Minister of Japan. We don't know the customs. We don't speak the language. He's not going to take a meeting with us uh, where we say to him, hey, Prime Minister, we want to bribe you. There's a very elaborate system through which a company has to hire a middleman. And that person is someone who has an expertise not only in corruption, uh, one foot in the world of corruption, but one foot also in the world of power. They are connected to very, very high-level government officials, and they know the etiquette, so to speak, of how to approach them. In Lockheed's case, it hired to be its middleman the most notorious Japanese gangster. He was a lord of the criminal underworld, a Yakuza, who ran right-wing politics in Japan. This was the man that Lockheed said, okay, we're, we're going to hire you to approach the prime minister and pay him bribes on our behalf. Today, that translates now. I mean, companies, when they want to approach really high-level government officials, I mean, we're talking prime ministers of Middle Eastern regimes or sheikhs or kings, they have to do this through a system where a person who looks very legit legitimate on paper and is connected to power is also willing to do the dirty work of passing on these bribes, sometimes for 10 years. And they, as I said, they're legitimate, so nobody really sus suspects them of doing that. Um, so the, the middlemen are, are a, a kind of a – they're a disturbing element of this because they show us how, how uh, tightly fused legitimate businesses are in the world of organized crime because that's the only way these bribes can get passed. And are there le semi-legitimate businesses that engage in this? For example, things like lobbying firms or public relations firms that really function as, as the middlemen in these deals? Well, well, yes and no. I mean, it, it, of course, in the in, in the United States, it, when a, uh, if a corporation pays uh, m money for influence, we we call it lobbying. It, it, the laws around bribery are much more uh, flexible. Let us say, in the favor of the people paying the bribes, it's much harder to prove a bribe in the United States than it is abroad. But abroad, if you pay this money for influence or access, it is considered a bribe. That said. 
again, this bribery doesn't really take place without the involvement of banks, uh, financiers, lawyers who are, are hired either by the company to pay the bribes or by the government official when he wants to launder those bribes. You know, if you're a uh, governor sitting in Nigeria and you want to spend your money in London that you've been given as a bribe, you have to hire a bank or you have to park that money in the bank. You have to hire a lawyer to help you create all these nefarious ways of, of moving the money around. So sometimes um, lobbying groups are involved, but it's usually more just outright bribery. Talk about the attitude of a Fortune 500 and big transnational CEOs in, in looking at this, what they say versus what they're doing. In the last 10 years, the Justice Department has brought so many cases. It's investigated hundreds of companies. Again, household names, names, name brands we all know. It's, it's, it's charged $12 billion in fines. My point being, it's really made it impossible for corporations today to not talk about what they are doing about this kind of bribery, this kind of corruption. So there is a lot of talk, tone from the top. The CEO usually has a, a web page that talks about their business standards, their 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 um, commitment to anti-bribery, etc. But those systems are only as good as they are policed. And more and more what these cases show us is that sometimes these what are called compliance systems, they exist on paper. There is a staff. More and more corporations are spending money on this kind of anti-bribery compliance. A lot are not. The majority are not spending much money on it. Some, But again, sometimes these systems exist, but they are not routinely analyzed, evaluated, this, the safe, the, uh, the, the mechanisms to control them, not that strong. I'll give you a perfect example that is in the news right now. Uh, Goldman Sachs, two former bankers just charged by the Justice Department for paying bribes to government officials in Malaysia. Goldman Sachs has, especially after the financial crisis, made all this noise about its business standards, its internal controls, it has compliance in place, the case has showed us, if you read through the Justice Department documents about it, that that system didn't really work. It, it, it worked, but it, it, its purpose was not to ask the tough questions about what was really happening in, in a multi-million dollar deal. So uh, I think there's a lot of, there is talk. I think some companies truly are dedicated to, to addressing this, but as long as you have the, 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 the kind of the window dressing, as some people would call it, in place. For some companies, that's enough. Is there any kind of popular or populist pushback to this in, in some of these third world countries that you're talking about where so much of this bribery happens? Yes, yes. Um, I can give you a couple of examples. In, in one of the most important corruption cases in the history of Nigeria, for example, involves bribes that Halliburton, a subsidiary of, uh, I'm sorry, of, that Kellogg Brown and Root, a subsidiary of Halliburton, paid during an election cycle in Nigeria. So people in Nigeria, that was 10 years ago, still very much aware of this, this scandal because the people who received the bribes, including three former presidents, have never been held to account. And, and Nigeria, as a result, is sort of stuck in a political stasis where everybody knows this crime took place. It, the implications of it are, are, are huge. The money involved was huge. The evidence is very credible. It came from the United States. Nothing has been done about it. So uh, in, in Congress, certainly in the media, this is talked about on a daily basis. The current president of Nigeria is under tremendous pressure to reopen what the Nigerians call the Halliburton case. And it's a, considered a test case of how 
willing the current government is to hold political elites to account to address this kind of crime. So it's part of the national fabric. The public is, is I mean, when I went to Nigeria, taxi drivers would start talking about the Halliburton case, very upset about it. So there is a big push uh, to, to address it. How does China look upon this? Yeah, China is a very interesting case. On the one hand, um, as a document in the book, bribes by uh, Western pharmaceutical companies, Pfizer, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Eli Lilly, have been rampant in China for 10 years, and it's caused all kinds of havoc uh, to the Chinese economy, to the Chinese healthcare system, to Chinese patients, the average citizen. China, as a result, has really cracked down on the problem, uh, including by fining um, GlaxoSmithKline, a huge British company, $500 million, arresting some of its executives. So on the one hand, China internally is really trying to address this issue, at least it looks to be. Outside of China, China is very comfortable uh, paying bribes, state-run or state-connected enterprises in oil, looking for deals in Africa particularly, have recently been um, investigated by the Justice Department as paying millions of dollars in bribes in Uganda, in Chad, in Guinea, to win huge deals. China doesn't have, obviously, the same... Uh, it, it has an anti-bribery law as of recently. It's not enforced. It's certainly not enforced when companies, Chinese companies go abroad. So Chinese companies are pretty much free to bribe at will, whereas the companies that they're competing against the United, in the United States or Europe have one hand tied behind their back, if not both, because they, they have to act according to laws which prohibit this. China doesn't. So it, it, we've seen it using bribes to win some very, very uh, enormous deals in, in the countries that I mentioned. And there's really nothing the United States can do. Uh, from time to time, it will charge someone involved in that scheme. But the Chinese government is not cracking down on that. You mentioned enforcement. I want to talk about enforcement here in the U.S., where convictions are, charges are brought in, in numerous cases, but really convictions and serious consequences are pretty rare. Exactly. Well, think about it. If you have a prosecution regime that holds companies only to account because they filed false paperwork, it is not going to be that surprising that no one is sent to jail for filing false paperwork. That's true across the board with white-collar crimes. It's, it's definitely true in the case of corporate bribery because we think of it as something that, well, it's what businesses have to do, or it's the cost of doing business, or it's a victimless crime. You know, nobody gets hurt. It's just bribes that are paid. I, I think um, that's part of the reason, a very important reason why more people are not held to account for this crime. If we understood the impact, I think maybe we would understand the individual responsibility. That said, I think the Justice Department has become gun shy about trying to uh, bring individual executives to trial because they faced some pretty humiliating and important losses in the past at trial. Bribery trials are very difficult to explain to juries. They're obviously very expensive, time-consuming. Getting the evidence from abroad, again, this is a crime that takes place many thousands of miles away, so the evidence is many thousands of miles away. Witnesses, likewise. So the Justice Department would rather, I think, not spend the resources to build a trial that's going to collapse and blow up in their face. What, it, what, it, what is much easier for the Justice Department to do is pressure a company into settling by paying a fine. Maybe they give up one employee whose involvement is very explicit. Otherwise, everybody walks away. The company pays the fine. That's it. And for the companies, it really is just part of the cost of doing business. Absolutely. I mean, think about it. 
one study that I found fascinating recently deduced that corporations on average, the fines they pay in bribery cases amount to 1% or less of their market capitalization. So if you're a $100 billion company and you pay a billion dollars in fines, okay, a billion dollars is not nothing, but relative to your wealth, your value, it, it, is, minim, it is minimal. It's not punitive. So, right, and now in a way you could argue that the a cost of doing business is you pay the bribe and a further cost of doing business is you pay the fine for having paid the bribe. And the, the fines are not, I think, high enough to really deter corporations from doing this. They, they still receive such a benefit monetarily and otherwise from paying these bribes so that the, the, the fines are not really doing much. Has anything changed since the 2008-2009 banking crisis and corporate crisis with greater regulation and greater transparency for banks? Yes and no. Uh, you know, the Dodd-Frank Act after the, the financial collapse, what it did do was introduce this idea of uh, whistleblower provisions, uh, and that applies not only to all white-collar crime cases, but in FCPA, in the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, the overseas bribery realm that we're talking about, it has um, brought forth a lot of individuals within companies coming forward to the Justice Department or the SEC and, and providing information. I think now the SEC reports that they receive something like 100 tips a, uh, a year or maybe 200 tips a year uh, on this kind of bribery. And some of those cases have resulted in real investigations and real settlements. So that is uh, one of the benefits that's come out of that regulation. The same uh, regulation also resulted in something called the Cardin-Luger Act, of part of the Dodd-Frank Act. I'm oh, sorry, the Cardin-Luger provision of the Dodd-Frank Act, which was required that companies working in the oil space or natural resources, minerals, they disclose any payments that they made abroad to foreign governments in pursuit of contracts. This was a bipartisan bill. It was seen as a really a major step forward in, in anti-bribery efforts. Uh, but one of the first things that the Trump administration did was in, invalidate that rule and roll it back. Uh, so that, that rule is now uh, fighting for its life. But it was a really important thing that came out of the the, the, the financial crisis and, and out of the Dodd-Frank Act. But now it's in jeopardy. David Montero, his book is Kickback, Exposing the Global Corporate Bribery Network. David, I thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you.